0: It's Monday and this is Talking Flutes with me, Claire Southworth. Now, my guest today is Emily Career Andrews, a multi-talented flutist whom I had the absolute pleasure of teaching some years ago at the Royal Academy of Music in London. Now, I have rarely taught someone with such a thirst for knowledge and a total focus in wanting to achieve, succeed and grow as a musician. And on top of all that, her musical Flute development and progress was off the charts. So a joy for any teacher. Hello, Emily.
1: Hi, and what a lovely introduction. Thank you. I'm blushing, but you can't see me. But if you could, I'd be (laughs) blushing.
0: (laughs) Thank you. You're very, very welcome. I mean, you really made your mark. Now, you've made such success of your career to date with, you know, you've got solo work, chamber, orchestral work, and we must chat about all of those, but first. Let's talk a bit about your background and set the scene for our listeners, because you you came quite late to the flute world. Yes,
1: um, in a sense late, in a sense early. I mean, I started playing when I was seven and I had really good flute teachers all the way through school. And I also already played violin. I started violin when I was four. And so I could already read music when I started playing the flute. So I kind of progressed very quickly. And I'd already, you know, when I left school, I'd done... I don't know, I'd done all the grades and done diplomas and things already, but then I went to Cambridge to do maths. That, I mean, I never really kind of considered going to a conservatoire, or applying or anything like that. I was always very academic and music was an extracurricular activity. And I, I guess I thought that I'd just continue to play in orchestras and find people to make music with outside my job. And I pictured a kind of nine to five working job. Yeah, doing maths things. So I did maths at uni, which I loved. That was great. I did lots of rowing. I fell in with some sporty people. I played in Cum's, which is the Cambridge University Musical Society uh, Orchestra. And I played in that, my flute and did lots of different things. And then I left and became an IT consultant um, for three years in uh, Guildford. And I think it was there. I was really kind of, I did enjoy my job, but I was looking for opportunities to make music with other people. And I just found that, no there weren't very many other people with the same kind of level as me or the same kind of enthusiasm and who wanted to work and somebody would say yeah yeah let's do something and then they you know they couldn't sight read any music and didn't want to practice and i don't know i just wasn't finding any rewarding musical opportunities and i wrote to the um orchestra in guildford to find out if they an amateur orchestra to find out if they wanted a flute and no they've already got some flutes thank you so I didn't find very many doors and that was when I looked around at other things that I could do and I found your course Claire which was in Waldingham Um, and that wasn't too far from Guildford and I thought maybe I'll meet some other flute players who also are fairly local and and there'll be a higher standard and we can play together and make music together and that it all kind of started there I hadn't really thought about um, applying to music college until I got there and everybody else was asking about music college and wanting to apply and and you know, when everybody else wants something, you want it too, don't you? So, so it all went from there, really.
0: Wow. Okay. So that's, it's, it's an amazing background. And, it, and it's, 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 a, it's not surprising that there's a lot of people in the music business who've done maths at university. They go hand in hand.
1: Yeah, I think it's quite a similar kind of brain or quite a similar kind of person, perhaps, who enjoys maths and who enjoys music. Yeah, absolutely. And making music yeah um you know there's there's books about it as well and things that sort of pattern recognition parts of your brain that light up with with pure maths and also with music and yeah there were lots of musical mathematicians at cambridge and and yeah lots of musicians love maths
0: yeah so do you do you still do any work with your with your maths and i.t absolutely yeah i'm
1: um i teach a few hours a week online um maths tutoring and i've actually recently been tutoring someone for their cambridge entrance exams so that's great fun that's quite sort of high level and quite sort of problem solving kind of maths it's sort of well beyond teaching the mechanics of maths and into the um yeah problem solving side of maths and i've loved doing that um, i'm also teaching someone else uh, towards their gcses at the moment and um, that's kind of as as beginner level as i do because below that I'm I'm not so interested anymore in the maths and then I'd rather be practicing my flute
0: so yeah so you've got a lot going on and we often talk about you know balancing uh, life life and work and and family you've got um, two beautiful boys and that is busy enough uh without everything else you do so why don't we talk I mean the, there are so many people listening who would love to sort of sort of following your footsteps in, in creating a career and um, not having gone through the, the standard route, I suppose, if you like. So have you got any advice you can give them for you know creating a career is a huge it's a huge subject i'm sorry <laughs> so. Well,
1: it is a huge subject but i think the interesting thing about that is there there are so many different careers within music and i think i didn't really realize that until i set off you know um you kind of think oh a career in music that's what you do you practice you perform like the phone rings and we all know that that's that's very hopeful <laughs> yep. um and yeah you know and i think as well it's easy to think oh you just do some auditions and get into an orchestra and that's your career and that is definitely one one career, but it's not the one that I'm on um, at the moment. And I people talk as well about portfolio careers. And I think that's really important um, to have in mind that almost everybody has a mixture of different things, whether that's a day a week teaching, some orchestral freelancing, um, in fact, you know, full-time orchestral jobs, they they will teach as well. And, and everybody has a kind of different mix, but lots of people are mixing different kinds of work. And that gives you resilience in times like, um, well, like the pandemic that, that we're having, you know, having that teaching work, which enables you to be furloughed, that, that's been really, really helpful. And, you know, I was furloughed for a while from that. And then I was teaching online, which gave you kind of structure back in your week and, and um, sort of musical purpose. That was lovely but i think also something that's really struck me kind of more and more is the the business side to running a career as a chamber musician and you know i was speaking to one of my actually one of my cambridge maths friends and we went for a walk a couple of years ago and i was feeling a bit fed up with the whole thing feeling a bit stuck in a rut and then sort of playing a lot at the same music clubs and for the same concert societies and finding it hard to sort of make way into uh into new ones shall we say or festivals and um slightly better paid concerts as well which which you need once you're paying for childcare. (laughs) and yeah so i was talking to her and she runs her own business now um, a tech business and she said but you're so employable you could apply to tech i'd employ you any day and i thought no i'm not i haven't used tech in ages and i don't know how to do it and she pointed out that i've been i've been marketing uh, a brand for 15 years I've been doing all the client liaison that's clients as in audience but also um concert bookers um you know I've been running all the website of the business you know that's the social media and the website um sending out emails to your mailing list about the concerts that you're doing I've been planning ahead I've been doing diary management and you know branding and concert programming and organizing rehearsals with different chamber groups and keeping it interesting and all of this stuff that we're doing is I think especially the emailing, you know, promoters and trying to interest them in your next concert idea and then trying to build tours around it, um, where you're playing the same kind of music with the same kind of people in the same month, otherwise it becomes financially impossible. Um, with all the rehearsals needed. Um, you know, yeah, we're running a business. We really are. <laughs> and we're doing all the sides of the business. Normally you'd have a team doing different things. Um, so yeah, I mean it's highly highly skilled person and personality that you need to be able to run a sort of ongoing uh, music career with so many different parts
0: to it. Well, certainly um, it is, I mean, it, is hi- it is highly skilled and it's also um, a job that you you grow into and you learn with the experience and as you're saying you suddenly realise you've been doing this sort of huge job like running, running your own company with you're the only member of the company, but you're doing all the jobs um, because, you know, you think of all the pre-concert things you have to do in terms of selling yourself and promoting and getting the work. And then yeah. when you get to the concert, you're talking, doing public speaking and your yes. whole, oh, yeah. the that. whole, um, the way you look, your image, you're promoting you as a business, which you want people to buy into and then rebook you. So it's an incredible... Yeah, and
1: you want audiences to to like... I mean, I really think part of doing a chamber music performance is staying behind and talking to audiences afterwards. And, I mean, obviously it's nice to get sort of positive feedback, but as well it's really nice to hear what they thought about the programming and, you know, try and learn from that for next time. What, What, you know, what could you change what should you keep you know you should learn from the audience not just sort of give them an opportunity to say wow well done you're amazing and leave like try and talk to them and find out what what make what motivates them to go to concerts why they came to yours in particular today was it something on the program that caught their eye or have they seen you before or have they seen you on
0: twitter or you know um it's it's good advice it's it's incredibly good advice because yeah are so many people they 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 arrive they do the rehearsal they do the concert and then they off they go and it's. Mm. I think it starts right from the apart from um, communicating with the organizers beforehand. It starts when you arrive at the venue, and you make sure that you are approachable, that you're you know you're friendly, you want to help, you want to make the the evening as successful as possible. Because a lot of these promoters and people who put on the concerts have put in a lot of effort already and and have funded quite a lot. So, mm. and then you get to the concert and you you need to speak to your audience and when you speak to your audience they get to know about you and and you you feel a bond and then afterwards it's very easy to talk again and I love the fact that you say you know what did you like what didn't you like what would you like more of I think it's brilliant advice.
1: Yeah I mean maybe not like so specifically asking questions but if you just get talking to people you find out like oh you know they've got got a son who plays the flute or something and and maybe that was the motivation for coming or they've seen us before somewhere else that's lovely when audiences start to sort of follow you around and see where you're going next and then it's so important to keep your website up to date and to let people know about your mailing list so you can you know that sort of thing becomes really important when people start following you to different concerts rather than just going to their local concert series and seeing whoever's there but actually saying I saw them before they were great oh they're playing nearby that's um really great when you get audience like that but I think as well, um, what we haven't really touched on is all the kind of COVID measures which are in place now as well. And I wanted to get on um, to that
0: because you've been very successful during lockdown. Tell us all about that. Oh,
1: uh, that's yeah, and um, that's kind of a separate thought I, I'll, I'll do that one in a second but what i was just gonna say was that um that now if you're planning like a concert tour or something and you've been lucky enough to get different promoters kind of interested to to have you and often you quote a, a price um and then that include you know And then you want accommodation on top for everybody. Then you have to go through all the kind of COVID risk assessments and make them feel safe that you, yes, you're touring, but all of you are testing every day. And, you know, because the concert organizers don't want to either have to cancel if possible, but also want to feel safe having you in their venue. And, you know, there's so many sides to it right now that aside from the playing at all, I've done so many risk assessments (laughs) and making everybody feel comfortable in the audience as well. And actually, a concert I was doing last week, um, somebody, uh, the the musical director stood up at the beginning and said, you know, thank you so much for coming. Um, you know, I realised that for a lot of you, it, you know, it feels quite strange still to come out to a concert. And so I just want to thank you for taking this risk. And I thought, oh, that's badly worded. Like, I, I don't know. I Everyone in the orchestra just went, oh dear. You know, I, you know, he said, I, I want to thank you for taking this risk and I hope I make it worth your while or something. And oh, I dirty. thought it would have been better to say there isn't a risk don't worry we've aired the place everybody's testing make everyone feel safe but saying thank you for taking this risk you know suddenly (laughs) made everyone feel oh my gosh I'm taking a risk to be here like oh that made me uncomfortable um so yeah you need to make everyone comfortable with that to go back to the lockdown um thing yeah um actually you know lockdown opened a lot of doors for me in a funny kind of way um I mean, I mentioned that, you know, I was furloughed for a bit from my teaching, which was great because, you know, income was still coming in. Um, and actually, we spend so much on childcare when we're touring that without any tours, we actually aren't any worse off financially, which is a, um unusual position to be in. But that, that we ended up roughly the same um, with our teaching money. So that was fine. But then concerts that were cancelled um, started wanting online concerts. And I'm lucky that my husband is really excellent at uh, and very interested in photography filming and um, audio recording and microphones and he's got his own kind of recording studio set up at home and lots of kit so he um got more kit <laughs> and learned to use it and camera switches and things and we we started doing online concerts for um various people but we realized that you know, going back to the point before about what you put online is kind of your brand and it's your image and things. So we wanted the things that we made in lockdown. We didn't want to just make something quick with our phone. I know a lot of people did that and that was great, too. But um, we didn't want something which was only valid in that moment. We wanted to use this moment to make really good quality online uh resources that we could then point promoters to and say look at the quality of the things that we're doing so we wanted to dress up make sure the lighting was just right the cameras were right the the microphones were perfect so that then it's a really high quality product that we produced and then we can still use it sort of 10 years later when everyone's hopefully forgotten about the pandemic we can still say look at this you know we self-produced this and and it's really good quality and we wanted it to be up there on our website forever and um so the
0: recording and emily, just to stop you there it, it is the, the, the your recordings are wonderful just for the listeners if they wanted to see some of these videos where should they go
1: oh okay um well on youtube uh, you can look for emily andrews flute that there's lots of emily andrews's but emily andrews flute will get you me there's lots of things there and um, the recordings that i'd done pre-lockdown were almost entirely highly kind of live in concert. And so that would be one camera things. The ones that we made in lockdown are all with my trio Carmen Co. Actually not all, some of them are me. Um, But as well you can look up Carmen Co, like Carmen Co. Um on yeah, on YouTube and you can see some of the things that we did in lockdown. And also on my website there's a gallery page. So that's Emilyandrewsflute.com and you can click on gallery or media or something and then yeah you can see some of the things that we did in our garden in lockdown. Um, and me and my husband alive. made some
0: videos. Now you, but you, yeah. you managed to make um, make part of your living through your videos because you would sell a concert video to promoters to clubs, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah. So, well, we quickly realised that actually, when you do a video like this, the club can't afford to pay you any more than it would do for an ordinary for an ordinary concert if you turned up they can't in fact we were lucky to get that because they make no money from these online concerts at all they're not taking tickets um so they were eating into their reserves to pay us the price that they would have paid anyway but then we had so much extra equipment and it took us 12 hours sometimes to set up the cameras for three for three of us and we had the kids to look after because this is lockdown (laughs) and um yeah so we were kind of doing that and then we'd start recording at night when they were asleep and um but you know, it really took us a very long time to get the takes that we needed to get the setup and then the expertise that was required to be able to do that, which is mostly, mostly my husband's filming it. afterwards, like editing the the cuts together, putting the sound with it. You know, um, it was just an extra job on top of the three of us playing as well as we possibly could. Um, And also, if you're going to produce a video that's going to be online for a long time, you don't want anything wrong. So you, you do take two takes of everything. So actually, you do the concert twice and all the setup, and all the editing afterwards. And it just didn't make sense for us. You know, we started to feel like this just isn't enough money that they can afford to make it worth our while to do this. And what can we do about this? And um, we had the idea, well, I had the idea to to make a... one concert but to sell it really cheaply to lots of different concert clubs they all have their own audiences even though it's online people were getting emails from their concert club saying watch this video and there was very little overlap and so we actually started selling um online concerts that we were doing to sort of five or six different concert clubs around the country around the uk um contacts that we had from real real concerts that we've been doing um and then we could sell it to them for £200 only, which was worth their while, because, you know, that's very low for for a concert fee for a trio. Really? Um, but for us, if we sold it to five or six people, it was a proper fee for us as well. And that's something that, you know, it felt really um, kind of innovative, like like a new way to see the business model of online concerts. Yeah. The only trouble with that one was that I think concert online concerts got quite competitive about how many viewers you had and it was kind of very visible to the public and we only have one kind of following as such and so our views would be split across the five or six versions of this concert so i mean that was just one thing to kind of consider you had to make it very clear to the clubs by the way you know our views will be split you know we are selling this to more than one club that's how it's so cheap and um our views will be split across but it's hey, it's not a competition for how many views you get you know if you get sort of 3 400 views that's great and then we know that you know actually 1000 people saw this concert which is amazing i mean what an opportunity to share your music and and get more well known across the across the world actually people were watching in south america people were watching in france and spain and and you know we got a lot more following during lockdown which we never would have put the time into um broadcasting concerts in this way had we not had the pandemic and so actually our reach would still be a lot smaller.
0: Wow so it's a great positive from a very sort of negative time isn't it? Mm,
1: yeah well and also we've all become sort of much more skilled in in a broader sense than we used to be we're all a lot more knowledgeable about um, filming and audio production and all these things which you know it's it's great just to keep learning new things um,
0: yeah we've all learned a lot. Absolutely. um, I know there are some societies uh, around us, like art societies, who've sort of gone almost solely exclusively online, doing the same sort of thing that people sort of buy into the evening and watch on Zoom. But I think the idea of of making a a video, a a concert video, and then selling it to the, the clubs for their audience to watch, At home is absolutely fantastic because music making uh, during COVID has sort of uh, has died in a way and there's so many people out there who are longing to hear live music or hear music and you've got such an interesting collection of of chamber music and and works and things so I, I should explain of course that you you not only have your flute and guitar duo and you do flute solos. You also sing in your concerts. Tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, I've always like really, really loved opera. And in fact, I got into flute playing after seeing Aida. Um, and I, you know, obviously I was mesmerised by the singers, but I don't think I ever thought I could be one of them. And I also found the flutes beautiful. So I, I thought, right, I'll play the flute. But I think the flute has a lot in common with the voice and it does. and the way, yeah, the way that we kind of sing through the instrument and the way that it's so directly um, sort of the air without any resistance. It, it, it's a very sort of similar instrument to play, to singing in many ways. And um. Anyway, I, I was trialing for Scottish Opera um, a couple of years after leaving the academy. I got the trial for second flute with Scottish Opera. And um, I was talking to Richard Blake, who's the first flute there, and saying how I'd always wanted to sing and how I'd would i done a gig, um, I, I don't know, maybe a year before. And I'd met Thomas Allen, and he's one of my heroes, and he was there singing and I was in the orchestra. And, um, you know, and how I've just always wanted to sing and Richard said, well, hey, it's not too late. I mean, like, you know, somebody who's sort of musically trained like you and never had a singing lesson is probably like a dream pupil. You should just write to Thomas and say, you know, like, hey, like, could I have a lesson? Could I start learning to sing? And I thought writing to Sir Thomas Allen was a bit beyond (laughs) me. But I asked one of my opera singer friends. You know, who are you learning with? And she recommended what, you know, arguably one of the best teachers in London, Neil Baker, who um, he teaches at Trinity, but he's becoming incredibly famous and he travels all over um, teaching very famous people. And <laughs> um, and yeah, so she recommended him, and I went straight to the best basically. And I went to him with, I'd never had a singing lesson. I sang in my happy birthday voices. I call it like happy birthday tea. you know, I really didn't know how to use my voice at all, yeah. but I was fully musically trained. And he said it was really interesting because he'd never um, had somebody who I mean, I hadn't got any bad habits either. I just didn't have any habits, you know, there was nothing. So um, he just taught me from the beginning. And originally, I kind of thought maybe I could get the confidence to sing you know, maybe some Dowland or, or maybe some folk songs or something with guitar in some of our recitals to keep it varied and, and give us more scope for for varied recitals and, and repertoire. But actually, I went kind of beyond the folk voice and I'm, I'm still learning, but I've, you know, I've got quite a full mezzo voice now and I'm, I'm using it more and more. And um, and although I still think of myself as fundamentally a flautist who sings, you know, I have had some reviews coming out of of the show that we've done recently, um, creating Carmen, and um, they say things like, you know, Emily Andrews, a singer with a flute degree, and I think, oh, a singer with a flute degree. You know, I, I never thought of myself as a, a singer in that sense, but you know, it's coming slowly. I'm I'm getting better and better.
0: Yeah, I, well, it's 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 really taking off, and you've been doing some some fabulous work with. Uh, with uh, Carmen, um, and anyone that has a chance to go and see you, I strongly recommend it. Um, so, with, in terms of creating a career, so you you form chamber music groups, you're you're teaching, you're doing online work. What else could people do to help with their uh, forming that sort of a career?
1: Well, I think as well, you need to be quite financially savvy. There's a lot of finances involved. I mean, actually to turn it from, uh, you know, something that you do into a career, you have to work out like what makes sense? What do I need to charge? And and actually even pricing up a concert is kind of, it's quite a minefield because if you underprice yourself and make it quite cheap so that they could afford it, you also make yourself look not very good compared with somebody who charges more. Um, And I think promoters see that and they see that you're only asking, you know, a hundred pounds each or or whatever it is. And they think, oh, well, they they obviously are just starting out and and they won't be as good as this other group. And often you lose out by under charging. But then you still have to be aware that if you come in too high, they just can't afford it. And so you have to also know, like this particular concert society, where do they make their money from? Do they make it just from ticket sales or do they have, for example, Arts Council funding for their concert series, which would mean that they would have more, that they're not trying to make the money on the tickets for what they're paying you. And you need to bear that in mind when you're, when you're, price, you know, quoting for a concert. And then you have to keep quite good hold of your um, sort of finances. And, and, you know, if it's a one-off concert, think of how many times you're going to have to meet up to to rehearse the repertoire. And is it new repertoire? And, and, you know, things only really sort of work financially. I mean, you, you might choose to do it for other reasons, which gets down to the kind of the three Ps rule, you know, um, the pleasure and pounds and prestige. But, but if you choose to, um, to you know if you're trying to make a career out of it you do have to keep a handle on is this sensible is this going to make sense I can't really book a single concert in Wales you know with my trio on repertoire that we haven't done in years like that doesn't make sense until I can build something else around it and so then you know then you go frantically contacting other people and there's there's also there is funding um available from all sorts of places and I didn't sort of I didn't fully understand funding when i was at the academy and i um i went to a talk by i don't know if it was the arts council or prs but there was a talk about how to apply for funding and they were saying the funding is there we've got it we're just waiting for the right applications to give it to and it it sounds great but then she went through and she said you know in order to apply for funding you have to you have to have everybody signed up already all the con all the places that you're going to play or you know you have to have all the quotes in and you have to have all the yeses and basically everything has to be in place and then you tell us how much it's going to cost and you ask for funding for part of that and you have to have some money coming from elsewhere and it all sounded impossible I mean chicken and egg sort of thing how do I get everybody signed up to all these concerts all over the place without knowing that I'll be able to do them because I haven't got the funding yet and how do I even know what to quote as a cost because I I don't know if I've got the funding yet <laughs> and how do I get other people to give me match funding if I haven't already got the funding from the arts council or what and you know, that was so complicated. And um the minefield. So I didn't it. actually Yeah, well it's really hard. And I didn't really go down that route until um quite recently with this Carmen project. We'd started doing I mean I'm always looking for variety and ways to ways to make kind of something different with with a concert or with a concert recital. Um I've always done that and I've always kind of searched for like a storyline or a meaning or, or something, yeah, in in a recital. So anyway, we'd started putting together a programme of kind of Spanish inspired, Spanishy type works, including some stuff from Carmen, and I sing sometimes and I play the flute and that was the three of three of us, me and two guitars. And then we started acting a storyline and so we went through the whole thing I was Carmen. one of them was Don Jose and one of them was the the husband who arrives at the last minute and then they have a kind of duel which we did with a aggressive um, fire dance performance by the two guitarists and they'd sort of glare at each other and ping out notes at each other you know and, um, and cool. that was the duel and then you know I I kind of uh, wander around you know being more impressed with one and then more impressed with the other and, and we made a storyline at the end i i die on the floor and don jose dies and then um david who was playing my husband would take off his hat and very solemnly play recuerdos de la Alhambra, which is this beautiful guitar piece with lots of tremolo um on his own on the stage and that would be the final thing and it's a stunning solo guitar piece um anyway we were doing that and we applied to stoke uh let me get this right um Stoke Newing. No, that's the wrong one. Oh, I can't. Stroud Green, Stroud Green Festival, which we'd seen was doing lots of cross art, um, cross genre art form things. They had lots of kind of theatre music and, and we thought we'd fit in well there. And the lady who runs that festival is called Claire Norburn. And she wanted to find out more about us, more about our show. And then she watched videos that we sent her of the show and said, you know what, your music making is leagues ahead of your acting as as you'd expect right we're not actors and yeah. she said you're kind of letting yourself down because the level of the performance that you're making is not um it's not as high as it would be if you just got in actual actors to do the acting would you let me rewrite the whole show um i'm a writer i will rewrite the whole thing i'll get in some actors and you'll be the musicians and i'll integrate the music and, and stuff and we'll do it collaboratively and we'll apply for funding and we'll get a tour and stuff and she's done funding applications before and um so basically she rewrote it we added two actors and she talked us through mentored us through the process of getting arts council funding and we got fifteen thousand for this project and for the tour that accompanied it and it was brilliant the whole thing was brilliant but it also um taught me how to apply for funding and what the process is and how to be yeah really quite business like in writing to people and saying this is the project this is what we're going to do you could have it for as little as this if you get on board now if you promise us with you know that if we get the funding you will take this you know you could have it for x otherwise it would cost you the full amount which is this you know so you need to reply now with your statement of interest Mm -hmm. and that's how you do it really and claire the other claire (laughs) taught me all of that
0: weren't you lucky to to find her and for her to offer to to rewrite and 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 get the accent because it's it certainly worked it's I think you know as with a lot of music a lot has to do with your contacts and being in the right place at the right time
1: yeah I mean the sort of the longer you go on the more contacts you make you just sort of acquire contacts and then you think ah this person will know about that and you know definitely that's that's so important is meet people and talk to them and find out what they do and find out what they're good at and then you know like keep that in your head because you'll acquire contacts and it really helps
0: yeah I think what you've 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 shown to us though with all the things you've told is is that you've been incredibly creative in the time that you've that you've had in in carving out this this lovely career with so many different parts to it, different different segments, so that you keep your interest going and you keep everyone else's interests going. And it's it's absolutely fascinating. Just moving on before we finish, I want to um take you into a new segment that we're doing in Talking Flutes, where I'm asking for the top 10 tips from the various people we talk to. Now, I I asked you this earlier, so I know that you've you've got something, but talk us through your top 10 tips for everyone.
1: Okay, cool. Well, I've brought them up on my screen so that I can make sure that I say the 10, not um, get it wrong. Um, so yeah, my number one tip is you have something to learn from everyone. And I think that's something that I've learned later in life. You know, I, I used to definitely have some sort of hierarchy in my head of, you know, here I am, these people are better than me, these people are worse than me. And I kind of only really look to learn from the people who i thought were better than me and that's that's only a flute scale you know but um actually it's not true it's incredible if you just open your mind to being receptive to learning how you can learn from your students you know you can learn from people even when somebody's playing and and you think perhaps they don't do one thing as well as you, you'll notice that they doing something else fantastically. And you could learn that maybe they've got incredible breath control and, and, you know, or maybe they breathe in totally silently and, you know, you've never been able to do that or try to find the thing that you can learn from them, watch how they do that. And and it makes it much more interesting and a much more two way process. Everyone can learn from everybody else. And, and the same, you know, just uh, talking to other people in conversation, you can find that they have, you know a different viewpoint than you and and you know or, or a very open-minded person you think wow i could be more like that i would learn more if i was more like that person and and you know it doesn't have to restrict to just flute so just be great, open to learning from
0: everyone that's a great first tip to be open okay. so that you have you because we all have things to learn from everyone around us brilliant what's number two
1: okay number two is um make music with people that you like um <laughs> And yeah, because, you know, I think I used to think, I mean, certainly when I was at the Academy, it was like you had this idea, oh, that's the best cellist, you know, and that's the best this person, or, or you know, and then you wanted to make a duo with them to do this project. And and not saying that you wouldn't like them, but actually the one that stood the test of time is the one who was kind of my best friend at the Academy was David Massey. And we were just mates, really. And then I, you know, started playing together and we did a few gigs and we're still playing together, you know, 10 or more than that years on. And um, yeah, I I think, you know, then you start organizing tours and concerts, the amount of time that we've spent together backstage, you know, just messing about or, you know, just growing up together. And, you know, we've toured Scotland a few times together and you spend a lot of time in restaurants and in hotels. And and really, it's the chamber groups that were friends that last. And music is so fun. Um, But, you know, you're not always going to be making music together. You are going to spend quite a lot of time just you know together on trains (laughs) you know it really helps if you're yeah it really helps and it helps it work and it helps it stay together if you know if they're your mates that you that you make chamber groups with it it really helps um so yeah and then number Three, don't lose sight of the social side of music. So this really came from, well, a few thoughts. One of them is that we, um, me and my husband uh, sometimes play Brazilian choro music and we got booked for a background music gig just near us. Um, And, you know, just the two of us on flute, flutes and guitar isn't really, it doesn't sound as good as if you had a pandero player, which is a a kind of um, tambourine. Brazilian tambourine. So we asked the regular one that we know and he wasn't free and he recommended his teacher but he wasn't free and then his teacher recommended somebody else. so we really had no connection with this guy. And he came around one evening when the kids were in bed for a rehearsal. and we got straight into play. We didn't know anything about him. He came and he said, well, shall we play?" And we played for an hour. And then at the end of the hour, he stayed for a beer and we were all best mates straight away. And I just thought it would take so much longer. Like we had a lovely evening and it would take so much longer to make that kind of connection where you're all kind of laughing about stuff. And, you know, we were all friends and it only took an hour. You know, if we'd sat down for a cup of tea and tried to sort of get to know each other, it would have been much more awkward and stilted and not as much fun. Music is this amazing way to connect with people, and if you play music, play music. And then I thought of the number of times that we've had musician friends, you know, because we have lots of friend musicians. We've had them round and we've done dinner or something, and then all gone home. And I thought it would have been so nice if we just brought our instruments and played. Like, why not? And um, and in Colombia, where my husband's from, music is very like somebody's always getting out a guitar. I mean, you know, you come for dinner, and the next thing you know, everyone's singing and and playing, and and it's just part of social activity there in a way that here you've got to be careful if you go to a dinner party and then you get out your instrument there'll be lots of people rolling their eyes you know going oh god you know now do we have to listen to this like (laughs) um it's something kind of English about separating the moment when you're going to do music from the rest of life and I don't think you need to do that we're all musicians and we love music and music is this amazing social thing and like like just because you're a professional doesn't mean you can't have a lot of fun and make connections just you know let's get our instruments out and play yeah Brilliant. okay Moving okay on. number four think in palettes not just in colors um we do a lot of work on making different colors and i know that's like a huge part of your teaching Claire, like really inspirational i love your book on on tone colors um and yeah i i think that's really important to make variety and to really work on that and push your colors but i also think that you need to have like one palette for playing with solo guitar and a completely different palette for orchestral playing. So for example, or for playing with piano, um, when I'm playing with guitar, I still think in terms of sort of dark blue or yellow, or, you know, I have different colors, but they're all sort of watercolors. So we say, I mean, I want the guitar to come through. I want you to see the texture of the paper behind, you know, and I don't want to make a noise that is so that is um opaque in a sense that's blocking any of the guitar sound. So the guitar has to come through whatever colours I'm doing. And that means that I only use certain colours. And I realise when I go into orchestral playing, I'm doing a lot of that this week, having done lots with guitar all through well, all through the last year. And I'm suddenly using, well, even different muscles in my stomach and things. I'm 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 really using a very different way of playing the flute um, because it's a completely different palette that I'm choosing from. So I think that's um, important. And you can tell when someone hasn't played, uh, particularly with guitar before, because they come and they make beautiful music, but you just can't hear the guitar. And there's, it's not about playing softer, it's about this palette,
0: yeah. Absolutely, brilliant. Okay, number so, um, Number five, we
1: already touched on, that's about broadening your skills and trying not to be just specialist in the one thing, the flute. Um, you know that particularly in the pandemic and things it was so amazing having a husband who also was very interested in photography and audio recording and knew all these things um me myself i'm learning all different kinds of music you know doing this brazilian choro music i'm learning and getting better at that i'm learning singing i'm i play violin still um and you never know when it's going to come in useful you know the director on creating Carmen thought it might be cool if if I actually played the violin in the gypsy band scene and Mm. so I did you know and how cool to bring out my violin after so long and play it on stage you know um yeah it's it's just great to have more skills and you just don't know when it's going to come in useful to learn photography or anything else just keep learning Mm. yep um number six is about imposter syndrome um I think we all feel it (laughs) it's such a huge part of being a musician really is feeling am i good enough to do this i hope nobody notices that i'm not perfect that i'm not you know um and you know i certainly have that and i just want to say that the best way to fight it is positive affirmations Mm -hmm. which is saying i can do this i'm really good at the flute i'm really good at this thing and that thing and i deserve to be here and i'm i'm really good and i'm going to play really well and if you you know, I did hypnobirthing for the birth of my two boys and had two brilliant births. I mean, really brilliant. And Hypnobirthing, um, you know, I didn't I didn't do sort of candles and music and and take it that far, but the bits that I really um took from it, which is more kind of the core of what it's about, is is about sort of birth is a natural thing and it's not frightening and your body is designed to do this. And all the, you know, when we see things about birth on TV, it's everybody's screaming and the doctors have to be called in. And, and you know, it's all very um, dramatic and there's a lot of screaming and it, it all sounds terrible. And, and that preconditions us to thinking, oh, my gosh, this is this frightening and terrible thing. And it's going to be awful. And if you think like that, then you get terribly tense. And obviously tension is not a good way to produce a, a baby um so if you say i'm born to do this i'm not going to listen to negative things you know you just if someone says i want to tell you about my terrible birth experience you say i don't want to hear thank you very much but i just don't want to hear that and you say to yourself every day i'm born to do this i'm going to be a wonderful mother i'm going to love my baby and you know and i did have two great births doing that and i think you can apply that to flute playing as well imposter syndrome um you can say You know, when the voice inside you says, oh, my gosh, you know, I don't really deserve to be here. Here I am sat between two amazing flautists. And, you know, I hope I don't do anything wrong. And, you know, are they going to notice that I'm not any good? You need to say, I don't want to hear that. Thank you very much. I don't want to hear that. I'm a wonderful flute player. I deserve to be here. I can do this. I have beautiful breath control. You know, I'm a really intelligent musician. I listen to the other musicians around me. And I, you know, and I can copy the sound that the first flute is making. And I've got lots of colours to choose from. And I've practiced my whole life to be here. And I'm wonderful. And that really helps. And I wrote myself a little note about Jimmy Carr as well, because I was listening to his um uh it's kind of a self-help book. You know, he's a comedian. Yes, I know Yeah, Yeah, well, he wrote this book called Before and Laughter. And I was listening to it as an audio book. And um, one of the things he says is that he gave up his job to become a comedian. He'd done one gig unpaid. And when people said, what do you do? He said, I'm a comic. You know, I'm a stand up comedian. And actually, when you know, like, some people would have said, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm not really doing anything. I'm, you know, but he just from the beginning said, I'm a comedian. That's what I do. So what do you do? I'm a musician. I'm a flautist, you know, like, don't be like oh I'm still training I'm you know like don't listen to that
0: yeah yeah it's it's a situation I think so many of us are in in that we we don't feel sort of worthy or capable or you know and it's that's a great advice number seven the three p's
1: yeah, I sort of mentioned that really quickly earlier. I think lots of people know what they are, but that's um, when you're working out whether to do a gig or not, just think about the three Ps, the pounds, which is whether it's paid, pleasure, which is if you want to do it, and prestige, you know, does is it going to add to my CV? And people, you know, some people say you need one of them, some people say you need two of them. But whatever your rule is, I think I understood a long time ago the pounds and the prestige. But the pleasure, I didn't really... For me, pleasure was pounds and prestige, you know, I thought like, I will enjoy it if, you know, if it's good on my CV. And if it's, you know, or if it's paying me properly, then that's kind of affirming that I deserve to be in the professional flute playing world. If someone pays me properly, and that makes me feel good about myself, and therefore I enjoy it. But actually, I've realized that there are lots of different kinds of pleasure you can get from music making. And one of them could be that you haven't seen these friends in, in a long time and you get to spend the day with them and make lovely music and that that's really fun see you know seeing other people or playing an orchestra that like part of the pleasure is being part of a big team. Um or maybe you're gonna learn a new kind of music or, you know, and I'm I'm doing a lot of community music at the moment. Part of this uh Choro music that I mentioned, the Brazilian music, is that we've set up a Choro Club in Bristol, which is some professionals in it, but um like us and some amateurs and anyone can come. And we play through this music and my pleasure in that is, again, the social side of it. It's the, you know, I'm meeting all these people and connecting with them that I would never meet except through music in our community, you know, local people. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, learning about a different culture and a different kind of music and none of that's paid but mm-hmm. or prestigious, but I'm really enjoying the, the kind of things that we do and we played at a local festival outside and it was a sunny day and you know it was just a lot of fun and I'm, I'm enjoying the kind of lack of pressure in those gigs so I think just be a bit um, try to examine for you what is pleasurable and don't just link it to the other two Ps if you know yeah. what
0: I mean. I like the three Ps rule and um, number eight? Um,
1: it's not all or nothing a bit is better than none. Um, I used to feel that if I didn't have time to do my full warm-up and then my tone and technique and you know the six parts of practice that that you taught tone technique tunes uh studies and sequences and repertoire there and I used to think if I didn't have time to go through all of that then basically today was a wasted practice day I couldn't do you know there's no point because I've only got half an hour um And not just with practice, with all sorts of things. I was a bit kind of all or nothing. You know, if I have one sip of wine, I can't play my flute anymore because I can't play when I'm drunk, you know, but hang on. (laughs) There's a scale. And, and, you know, I've realized now, especially since having kids, you know, your time is so pressed and you're always running around between things. And, and, you know, if I can get my flute out and just do some, maybe I won't even finish the exercise, which used to drive me crazy when I opened some sequences and I didn't get through all the keys Mm -hmm. that I like, really that upset me.
0: You remind me of myself because before children, I would be just like you were just saying, have to get through things. And then after children, I'd be delighted to get, catch five minutes, even if it was in the garage, trying to do five minutes practice or in the bathroom or whatever. So, yes, yeah. I, can, I can relate to that completely. Okay. But I think
1: even before at the academy, I could, have, um, I could have benefited from being a little bit less strict with myself. You know, if I couldn't do my three hours, I just felt, you know, really like I'd failed that day, whereas I'd done two and a half hours. It's, it's really, you know, I think we can be less strict with ourselves in many ways.
0: Yeah. But then again, at that time, you were very focused. And you were trying to sort of, you know, achieve uh, certain things. So you mm. were very driven, so, mm. which, is, which is also good. What about number nine?
1: <laughs> um, kind of linked to that, I guess. Self-critical doesn't mean horrible yeah. to yourself. Um, critical just comes from the word critique. Which is just critiquing something, being aware of what's good and what's bad and noticing it. Yep. Um, so you can say, ah, oh, today, you know, I don't seem so hot on this, but this is working really well. And, you know, just try self critical doesn't mean we have to knock ourselves down all the time. Um, and there was a warm up that I, uh, that Rod Seed ran and I was um, following him online and, and doing it along with him he does some really brilliant sort of open online teaching and um, highly recommend his videos anyway he made one and he talked about the very first thing he does he gets out his flute and then he just checks in with himself you know he plays a few notes and he checks okay and if he's a bit sort of fizzy, a bit caffeinated today, he'll do long notes for his warm up, you know, to try and calm things down and try to get the breadth of sound. And whereas if he's a bit sort of sluggish and sleepy, then he might do sort of little staccato warm up, you know. Um, and I really like that idea. I've always, um, I've never taken the time to check in on myself before. I've always just said, right today I'm going to do this for my warm up, and then I'm going to do that and that. And I haven't taken the time to say, how am I today? I'm I'm not a machine. I'm different each day. Um, and what can I do to kind of uh put myself in the place where I'm the same every day and then I can start my practice you know
0: yeah being a bit more kind to yourself as well um yeah okay and finally number 10
1: Uh, Yeah, so this one's kind of my favourite, which is finding the doers, um, the people who just kind of get things done and then hang out with them, collaborate with them and then eventually become one of them. And this, uh, I suppose this springs from a comment, uh, me and Francisco, uh, my husband, were trying to organise something and we needed um, a couple of professionals to be involved for a while until we got enough community musicians involved. And we were talking to one such uh professional musician saying you know will you sign up just just do it for six months blah 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 and he said yeah you know the thing is that you two you get things done so if you say that you you want to do this I know I know you'll make it work so yes I'd sign up to six months you know and we both thought that was such a big compliment you know you two if you want to do something you'll get it done so yes, I agree. I'll sign up for six months. And, and I thought, wow, that's a huge compliment for both of us. And, and we have become one of the doers, you know, people who have a reputation for if we say we're going to do this project, we will find a way and it will work and we'll do it. And, um, and I also think of uh, this lady, Claire Norburn, who, who runs the festival I was talking about who wrote Creating Karma and she's a real doer she says she's going to get the funding and if the funding falls through she gets it from elsewhere and she's she just makes things happen if she wants to do something it it happens (laughs) and um you know I've met quite a few people like this in my life and I think that they are real gems and when you meet someone like that like learn from them and try to become like that yourself try to become someone people know as a doer as someone who gets things done.
0: Wonderful. Well, Emily, thank you so much. This has been absolutely fascinating. I mean, everything you've, you've told us has been so valuable and very considered and sort of straightforward, but not always things that people think about. But I think you've given us so much good advice for helping get started in a career, keep it varied and, and how to go forward with it. So thank you so much. It's been a delight.
1: My pleasure. It's, it's always so lovely to talk to you, Claire, and you're such an inspiration for me and always have been. In fact, if it wasn't for you, I'd, I'd be an IT consultant, honestly. So <laughs> still, um, <laughs> so you're That's the reason cool. that I'm here today. And, um, you know, I'm very proud to be, you know, to be of the School of Claire Southworth. So, yeah. Oh, Thank, thank you, Emily. You. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> lots of lots of luck for the for your career in the coming years. Um, I'm sure you're gonna be a great success. And I think everyone should have a look out on on YouTube for Emily Career Andrews and see what you find. I think you won't be disappointed. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Emily. Bye, thank you. Well, that was Emily Career Andrews. I do hope you all enjoyed today's pod with such good advice from Emily about how to carve out a career in these difficult times. John Paul and I love receiving your questions and comments. Do send them to flutepodcasts at gmail.com or leave a message on our Facebook page, Talking Flutes, or through Twitter and Instagram, at Claire Flute and at Flute.